Welcome to our Think Kingdom podcast. Welcome into our series, The Kingdom is Like. We have a guest speaker who's giving us a visual representation this week of how to make disciples. You need to visit us on Facebook for the visual. But let's go ahead and jump in and see what God's word has for us from our guest speaker, Warren G. We want to talk about discipleship. And there's some key things we need to talk about because discipleship is such a key word in the church. We, we all love discipleship. There is no doubt. There is no doubt that we believe discipleship is the thing, uh, it's the way to go, and we as Christians need to be that. But the first question that gets asked puts the brakes on. Because if I had to ask you right now, who are you discipling, a lot of us might not have a name. And that's challenging, because I believe in disciple-making 100%, but I might not be discipling. So Jesus, as we come and we chat and we, we go through Scripture and just learn from you, I pray that you speak to each and every one of us. Challenge all of us, Lord, how to go deeper in our relationship and our walk with you. In your name, Jesus, amen. So a few things before we look at disciple-making is, is one thing we don't realize is how intentional Jesus was in disciple-making. In fact, scholars would say that he was so intentional. He, he, in these three and a half years of ministry, he kind of gave us a look into four stages or four levels of commitment. And today I want to go through these. But when we look at the life of Jesus, we often go, yeah, but he, he was God. I'm, I'm not God. Well, if you look at Scripture, we know that he is fully God. But while on earth, he chose never to live more than man. And so if you go through Scripture, you'll see all the passages you go through. He never pulled a God card. All right? In fact, all his, his ministry in that you'll see that he will always refer to, I did what the Father asked me to do, and the Holy Spirit was present. Okay? And so when he says, you'll do what I've done, and even greater things, he's laid a foundation for us to do exactly what he did. He, he never lived more than man, and he's given us the same Holy Spirit in our lives as we disciple uh, other people. So... The other thing I want to just highlight before we go through this, but we often use the word discipleship, and that often refers to receiving more information. Okay, disciple-making refers to, if you're a disciple, you've got to be making a disciple. And so we're going to talk this morning about disciple-making. Do you know McDonald's does not teach a person how to cook a hamburger. Do you know that? If you become a chef, the average chef in the McDonald's corporation worldwide usually stays on average three months. Okay? Three months, because there's not a lot of room for growth, but three months, but you can eat a McDonald's hamburger in Canapolis, North Carolina, you could walk across the road, you could eat it in Africa, uh, in 
Paris, England, uh, wherever you go, and it will taste the same. <laughs> right? They never teach people how to make a hamburger. They teach their chefs how to teach somebody how to make a hamburger. And so the standard stays the same because they're just teaching the next person, this is how you make a hamburger, but I've never learned how to make a hamburger. But this is how you make a hamburger. This is how you make a hamburger. So when we look at disciple making, this is how you make a disciple. Who makes a disciple? Who makes a disciple? So we look at the, the life of Jesus. Jesus comes along and... Uh, John the Baptist points out to Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of this world. And two of John the Baptist's disciples jump up and start following him. And who knows who they are? That's right, John and Andrew. And they're following Jesus and he turns around and he says, What do you want? And they're like, uh, Hey, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he invites them. He says, Come and see. And he, invi he invites them, and they spend an afternoon, and, and scholars would say it was probably just that one afternoon, because when it started getting dark, everybody went home. There weren't street lights, there was no solar, it was home time. And so they spend the afternoon, but the next day they run into their friends and they're saying, come, we found the Messiah. Now these were good scholars, these were Jew Jewish scholars, good boys that had grown up that were following John the Baptist, they were looking for the Messiah. What happened in that one afternoon that they went out and they said, come, we found the Messiah? And there's a whole lot of different theories around it. There's some possible conversations where they hang out with him and they, they're like, uh, Rabbi, tell us a little bit about yourself. And he starts sharing and um, they're like... Uh, he says, what are you guys up to? And they're like, we're preparing. We're ready for the Messiah. We're waiting for the Messiah. And he says, what do you know about the Messiah? Well, we know that uh, he's from the line of David. And Jesus is like, yeah, well, you know, I was, I was born in Bethlehem with a whole census. We had to go where our families were from. And they break it all down. And then what else do we know? Well, we know that he had come up out of, uh, out of Egypt. But we don't understand that because he's... Jewish in that. He's like, well, let me tell you what happened to, my, to me. You know, one night an angel came to my dad and said, you've got to get out of here. And we went down to Egypt, and uh, when we were hanging out in Egypt, after some time, an angel came to my dad and said, let's go back. And, and these are all just theories, but in one afternoon, good religious guys found out that Jesus was the Messiah. And so each and every person ever born starts in this chair because you're either secularly lost you've never you've never heard about the lord or you're religious lost you you're born in a church and you've been there the whole time and you know a lot about god but you don't know god and that's where these guys were john and andrew they they knew all of the stuff but they didn't know the messiah themselves Jesus then, there's a little gap between these chairs because Jesus, in the whole beginning of his, his ministry, he actually goes around and he, he says, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Remember? And then the crowd starts coming. He says, we've got to go. We've got to go because uh, we need to share the, the message. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Each and every person needs to hear that in their lives because we each need to repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. Romans 10 verse 9 says, 
If you confess with your, no, if you believe, help me out here. Who's got a Bible? Romans 10, 9. If you believe in your heart that Jesus died, rose again, and you confess with your lips, you will be saved. Paraphrase mine, but that's what it says. Every single person has to repent and believe. We have to. And unfortunately, we've got this message in the church that you live, uh, live in such a way that people would just read your life, that you might not need to use words, okay? If the, the saying goes, if necessary, use words. It's necessary, okay? And, and often we think that just living a good life will get people into, come join me at church. So Jesus gives us repent and believe, the next thing we do is, is Jesus actually challenges, and these are the four stages or four levels of commitment that we're going to go through. Don't worry, we're going to go through it three times because we're going to look at Jesus, we're going to look at ourselves, and we're going to look at how do we actually do disciple making. So the second thing is Jesus calls his disciples and he actually uses this term. He says, follow me. Now, if you've been in church a long time, we skip follow me. We jump straight to, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But there was a first challenge where Jesus said, follow me. In fact, we've all seen Jesus films. And uh, he's a Swedish Jesus. Hair blow dried. Follow me. Okay? Which, which if we go back to the... E okay, don't be inappropriate, Warren. It took me a long time as a white South African, to realize that Jesus wasn't white. <laughs> you cannot hide out in Egypt as a white man. I'm just saying it. Trevor Noah says you can't have a, a, an African-American James Bond because in Scotland, it's like running away. And they, there he is! <laughs> so anyway, but, but the interesting thing is... It, it, I, I, I apologize, okay? All right. He, he challenges them to follow him. It, it's true. The, the hard thing... Oh, stop right there. <laughs> follow me was actually 18 months before the follow me and I make you fishers of men. Because Jesus has to change their mindset in so many different ways. He has to change their identity and he has to change their worldview to a kingdom view. Some of the things he did, the Samaritan woman. You don't go there as a good Jewish guy, okay? He went there. Uh, some other things, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, some challenges, like what do I do if a Roman god asks me to carry his cloak for one mile? <clears throat> carry it two miles. He had to change everything that they believed about themselves and have a kingdom worldview. The third level is he actually says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Now this is where he built into their life so that they could do what he had done. Uh, some would refer to that there were seven mission trips that Jesus took his disciples on. John the Baptist's disciples come to him and they say, there's a problem. Uh, Jesus is baptizing more than us. And the word will say, actually it was his disciples that were baptizing. And so there was opportunity. This was nine months. Jesus prepared them for ministry for nine months. And then lastly, 
he actually tells them to go and bear much fruit. Now, if you look at these four stages, when Jesus gives them the John 15 challenge of go and bear much fruit, he actually touches on all four levels. There'll be no fruit, fruit, much fruit, more fruit. No fruit, fruit, more fruit, much fruit. 60 or 100 times, all right? And Jesus gets his disciples here, and for 15 months, they do ministry with Jesus. He sends them out in pairs. He sends the, the, does all this with them, that when Jesus is in the upper room, uh, before his crucifixion, they would say that there were 500 disciples, not just the 12. And so when Jesus gives the Great Commission in Matthew 28, have you got that? Matthew 28 says, what version? Uh, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus gives the Great Commission, and uh, scholars would say, we have titled it the Great Commission, and that often makes it lofty that a lot of people think they cannot attain it. The Dan Spader, who's one of the leading uh, guys that study Christ, the life of Christ, and they would say a Christologist, says that a better title would be the Everyday Commission. Because he goes, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. An Everyday Commission reminds us that this is what we need to do every day. We, we do... Um, Lynette and I work for a, mission, a ministry called J-Life Africa, which stands for Jesus' Life, and it's in Africa. And uh, what we do is we do training for pastors, church leaders, and anybody that wants to learn about disciple-making. And we had a, a, a doctor in Cameroon come for a training. And at the end of the training, he said, do you know what? I actually need to start with discipling my family. And he went home and started discipling his family. And then he, he shares with the trainer that he then realized he was at work eight hours a day. He needed to start discipling people that he was spending eight hours a day with. He started discipling his, all, all his employees. And what happened was it started having an impact on their community. Their community was changed that last year during a worldwide pandemic, this doctor of medicine was voted in as the mayor of the city of Adia because they said, we want what you've got over there. Now, when you hear that, it's an African city, it's a small one. No, it's a city of a million people. He's now discipling the city of Adia. As you live your everyday life, make disciples. So let's run through this in our lives. Each and every one of us start in this chair. Because you, you've heard it, because you park a car in a garage doesn't make it a car. It's a car. Because I stand in a garage doesn't make me a car. I'm still a person. Because I attend church doesn't make me a believer or a Christian. 
each and every one of us have to come to the point where we realize Jesus did come. He did die for me. He rose again. I believe in that. Please forgive me my sins. That, that's a very abbreviated version of what the good news is. The good news is that the God, the creator of this universe, still wants to have a relationship with each and every one of us, and he's made a way for that to happen. And he asks us just to believe and to confess. Each and every one of us move into this chair. Each and every one of us need help. Each and every one of us need to be discipled. And now here's the hard word. Each and every one of us can believe that this is the job of the pastor, that he needs to disciple each and every person. Even if you've got Superman, the pastor cannot disciple each and every person. So what happens in this chair, this is the lazy boy chair of Western Christianity. Okay? And so we get into this chair, and we're happy. I'm saved, and so now I, I look for a good church where I'm comfortable, I like it, yeah? All right? And we look for churches that have programs that fit our needs. And you notice in this chair, it's all becoming about me. And so when you don't have a program that appeals to me, I'll go to another church. Why? Because you're not feeding me. This chair often we receive our spiritual meals on a Sunday morning. And I don't know about you, but I can't eat only once a week. Okay? And, and so spiritually, we think we can eat once a week. And, and we're not even eating our own meal. We're eating a meal that somebody else has prepared and has eaten all week, and I'm hoping that that would sustain me. The, this is a dangerous Dangerous, dangerous chair. Why? Because Jesus doesn't want us to stay here. He wants us to get to much fruit. And in order to get there, we need to move along to this chair where we realize that I actually need to feed myself. And, and so I need to... I need to in, in this chair, I need to learn a few things. How do I feed myself in Scripture? How do I learn... It's like baby steps. How do I learn to talk? How do I pray? Do you know how... The, these are tough words because sometimes, you know, it, it, it shakes us. But we need to know where we are because we all need to get to this chair. In this chair, we need to learn how to pray. A lot of Western Christians are not comfortable to pray in a group, even with other believers. If you go to prayer meetings, some will pray, and they'll pray every week. But some you'll never hear pray. And that is often a sign that the person is not praying when they're alone. And so, and so we need to learn how to pray to speak to God. We need to learn how to walk. Walk in kingdom obedience, not just Warren's obedience. Okay, kingdom obedience. What does that look like? What am I asking 
Uh, Holy Spirit, make me more aware of what you see in the day. We need to learn that there. We need to learn how to, a, a baby needs to learn how to clean themselves. All right? And so when we sin and the Holy Spirit convicts us, we need to know we can go back to him. Just like if I did something wrong with my dad and he says, you shouldn't have done that. I told you not to do that. Dad, I'm sorry. Okay? We need to learn how to clean ourselves. Lord, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Okay? And then we move to this chair, and we're in this chair, this chair here is the most uncomfortable chair in these four levels of commitment. Picture the $4.50 chair, plastic one you buy from Walmart, compared to the lazy chair. This chair is uncomfortable because as I start feeding myself, God starts pruning me. And pruning is... Pruning is never, ever easy, okay? And sometimes we need to be pruned of good things for important things. They're not all bad things. I grew up watching rugby. There's four hours every Saturday gone, okay? It's a, it's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with watching rugby. But what if I'm watching three, four games a weekend? Ask Lynette. It, it's boring for Lynette, but it's also... Honestly, I would say, I would say to Lynette, ah, oh, we lost. She's like, who's the we? <laughs> you know? They, all right. Been there, done that, okay? Um, so anyway, had to learn. Sometimes you have to give up good things for important things. This person right here needs a place to serve. And this, each and every one of us in a ministry should be discipling somebody else to work us out of a job. But unfortunately, it's, it's often, but this is my job. You, you can be my assistant, but, but this is my job. Okay. This chair, if we're not careful... This chair, we can often get bitter. And Jesus even says, don't, don't let bitterness creep in We're in this stage. So what happens is I'm praying, Lord, please, please, Lord, I really want you to take me deeper. Please use me. And then we start seeing different things. We're getting busier and busier, and we're going, Phew. you know, that church, they just use me. And so we move to another chair. We go back here and we move to another church because they're asking for more and more of my time. Okay? And so, and so it's a challenging chair. We've been pruned ourselves. But not only that, we've got to guard our heart from bitterness. And this chair right here, just like this one had to learn to feed themselves, this chair right here, John 15, we need to learn how to abide. And that's hard. Has anybody here ever been on a day's solitude of prayer? It's like the day is long. It's long, okay? And then you look at your watch and it's like 9 a.m. Okay? But the more you do it, the more beneficial it is. And this chair needs to abide, abide, abide. 
You cannot keep feeding if you're not full. And so sometimes we might need to say, you know, I think it was Martin Luther King that said, I'm so busy today, I cannot afford to spend at least three hours in prayer. You know what Warren does? I'm so busy today, I'll have my quiet time tomorrow. Okay? Abide. Abide is not easy, but it's necessary. And then the last thing is Jesus sends them out and says, now I want you to multiply yourself into other people. This person here is discipling other people. This person here is starting to disciple other people. This person needs to be discipled. This person needs to, be, needs to hear the gospel and come to know the Lord. Fourth chair here, also key, key, key. Jesus says in John 15, abide because apart from me, you can be busy. You can look busy. You can look like you're doing a lot of things, but you'll be stuck in busyness. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Talking about this process. But if you're in him, you'll receive a harvest 30, 60, 100 times. All right. You with me? There's a lot of information here. And uh, this is actually a a four-day training we do with pastors. We're not going to do the four days, okay? Pastor Anton said, I've got two and a half hours. No. (laughs) Today, I just want to give you enough to make you dangerous for Jesus. Okay? And and I I love that statement because it reminds us of our mission. I actually heard that from a a Nigerian soccer player who... um, he was a good friend of mine in ministry in South Africa, but uh, he would often, oh, are you dangerous? Anyway, so what do we need to do? Our call in disciple making is that we as the church need to win the lost. And he, in order to win the lost, we're going to need to enter their world. Nobody that does not know Christ is waking up this morning going, hmm, I wonder where I can find a church. It's the last thing on their mind, okay? In fact, we did sports ministry in South Africa, and think about it. I want to invite a friend that doesn't know Christ to church. Oh, so what's going to happen? Oh, we'll go there. God will get up, welcome us, give us a few announcements about what's happening in that church. Okay, yeah, and then, and then we're going to have worship. We're going to sing some songs. Oh, what songs are we going to sing? Oh, don't worry, you haven't heard of them, okay? Because if you're not a Christian, you don't know any of those songs. Are are you going to sing Beyonce? No, we're not. All right? So then what? Then a guy's going to get up, and he's going to speak to us for 40 minutes on how we should live our life. Uh, I think I'm busy that day, okay? If we're going to win the lost, we need to enter their world. And so if we look at the life of Christ, three and a half years, we see that he was actually intentional. Some he won immediately. He built into their lives for 18 months. He then equipped them for nine months, and then he sent them out for 15 months, and then he left. All right? And and it's interesting. We won't go there. It's interesting that he actually prays it's finished before he dies on the cross. And we... I, I... 
I started going to church in ninth grade. I heard the gospel on a vacation. We went down to a beach party. It wasn't a beach party. Guys were doing music and then shared the gospel. I heard the gospel. They entered my world. I wouldn't have gone to church, but I went down for a beach party. All right? And so if we're going to be intentional, we need to actually ask ourselves, where am I putting myself? And, and don't, don't hear me wrong here. I'm not saying go out there and live a wild life. I'm not saying that. But I need to be intentional about where am I going to meet people that might not know Christ. And for me, I love running. So I, there, there's a running group in Kannapolis. There's a running group in Salisbury. Maybe I need to tend it so I can build relationships and enter their world. The second thing about winning is we need to be comfortable to share the gospel in a way that a person can respond. The third thing we need to do is we need to intentionally build into people's lives and realize that this is not an overnight thing. Because a person's been in your church one year does not mean that we've equipped them. Remember, baby steps. steps. How do I feed myself? How do I talk to God? How do I walk in obedience to His kingdom agenda? And uh, how do I keep short records before God? So we need to build into their lives. The third thing is we need to equip them. This person, I, I mentioned it earlier, but this person needs opportunities to serve. And if we do not provide opportunities to serve, this person will look to a church where they will provide opportunities to serve. Okay? Because they're at that level where they want to be involved in what God is doing in their lives. That one, new identity, kingdom worldview. Pastor Antoine, you're going to get a few phone calls this week. Kingdom worldview. If we had to zoom right out to the big picture, there's a God who created us, loves us, wants to have a relationship with us. Okay? There's an enemy, a very real enemy. And, and I say this because our culture is getting comfortable with the enemy. We're, we're, making, we're, we're making TV shows where we make him a nice guy and we say, shame, he got a bad rap. He's an enemy that seeks to kill and destroy your life. Uh, Jesus says when he speaks lies, he's speaking his mother tongue. There's an enemy. So we've zoomed right out. If we look at the big picture, God is asking us to call people to have a relationship with him because there is a battle on for everybody's soul. When it comes to kingdom worldview, there are so many worldviews right now to distract us from that big picture. God wants to have a relationship with everybody and we need to introduce them to Jesus. There are so many things to distract us. Worldviews. There's race. There's finances. There's, uh, there are a whole lot of things at the moment that can distract us from this one thing, kingdom worldview. Okay. And so I share this because, because I'm not from America. I'm from South Africa, and we have the exact same distractions. We need to change people's worldview to a kingdom worldview because there is a fight for their souls. Here, the person needs to be uh, given opportunities, but here, more than ever, we need to teach people how to abide.
abide, abide, abide. Over here, the person needs to be given opportunities to multiply themselves into other people. As a disciple, a disciple makes a disciple. Who makes a disciple? Who makes a disciple? Who makes it? You get the... A disciple doesn't not make disciples. A disciple makes a disciple. This person needs to be given the opportunity to do that. In Western Christianity, we have based a lot of our outreach on one way of doing church. If I can just get somebody to church, my pastor will do the rest. Do you know that if you brought a thousand new people here every single day and one of your leaders got up and shared the gospel and a thousand people came to know the Lord every single day, you'd be the talk of the town worldwide. At the end of this year, you'd have 365,000 people in your church after one year. Do you know how long it would take you to reach 8 billion in the world? 21,000 years. Do you know if Robert looked at this and he said, you know, I actually have to make a disciple, and Robert spent the whole of next year making a disciple, do you know what you had to have at the end of next year? Two disciples. If they then each did one, four disciples. Do you know how long it would take to reach the world? 34 years. 21,000 or 34 years. But we put all our emphasis in big group gatherings. This morning I would like to challenge you to think about one thing is who am I discipling? And then to be intentional about that. We've taken that word out of our, out of our language. We don't go up to people and say, hey, can I disciple you? We don't walk up to people and say, hey, would you disciple me? Okay, we've brought in other words like coaching or mentor or, or will you walk with me? Okay? Very, very real. They are, uh, we were chatting this week, if each and every one of us became intentional, say we just said with one person this week, we said, can you and I meet and we read through a gospel over a course of a month and get together and ask each other two questions. What did I learn about God and what does God want me to do about this? If you did that, you started discipling somebody. And there are disciple-making stores all around America that provide the opportunity for us to get together and disciple people. And it's called Starbucks. Can I take you for a coffee? We read through a gospel and ask those two questions, and you've started discipling somebody. So before we close, I want you to, right now, just ask God, God, who do you want me to disciple? And write that name down. If you don't have a pen, you can use your cell phone. I won't be offended. But I think... A lot of us see we do a lot of things in this chair. Jesus wants us to get to that chair, and we've heard that this is the most uncomfortable chair. 
but you can't get to that chair without going through this one. I want to encourage you, wherever you've seen yourself this morning, is to have a conversation with somebody else that's here to hold you accountable on, I need to move to that chair, and this is what I'm working on. That there will help you. Um, Yeah, dear Lord Jesus, we thank you for your example, not only just uh, living out a life that pleases the Father, but showing us how you made disciples and how you're calling us into disciple-making ourselves. I pray for each and every one of us, Lord, where you've pulled at heartstrings and where we've seen we, we may have been disobedient. Lord, in, we want to do what you want us to do. We thank you for giving us this everyday commission. I pray for each and every one of us that you draw us deeper, that you draw us closer to you. Your word says if we draw close, you will draw close, Lord. Help us move along these chairs that at the end of the day we would see much fruit. Please take your glory. Apart from you, we can do nothing. We love you, Lord. Amen. And such a great message from our guest speaker, Warren G., in our series, The Kingdom is Like. He shows us that we need to win, build, equip, and multiply disciples while we are still disciple-making. Again, please see our stream on our Facebook for the visual of today's message. Now, if you're blessed by anything you hear in this podcast and you feel led to give, feel free to text the word GIVE to 704-741-3705. And again, if you're anywhere near Charlotte, the surrounding areas, come on by and visit us here at 465 South Cannon Boulevard in Kannapolis, North Carolina. Or you can join us online every Sunday at 1033 a.m. on Facebook and YouTube. And while you're there, go ahead and subscribe to us on YouTube, Facebook, and even Instagram under Think Kingdom. And as always, you can go back, hear this message, so many more other sermons series and messages right here exclusively on our Think Kingdom podcast. Mm-hmm.